Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21 is where we will spend our time together. Actually, Acts chapter 21 and chapter 22 uh, today as we uh, continue our series uh, entitled Church on the Move. And uh, we have been working our way uh, steadily through the book of Acts. And uh, today we find ourselves in a very important uh, section of the book. And I believe that God has much to say to us as we uh, continue uh, this journey. Uh, if you have not uh, had the pleasure of being with us uh, on this journey for very long, uh, we have had a great time. At least I know I have had a great time, and I hope that you have as we've been looking at our history, seeing where we come from, where the church comes from, how we started and what God did and how he worked and moved in the early years and how he established uh, the church. And, uh, and so we have been working from the understanding that uh, God, uh, through the book of Acts, uh, covers a, a span of time around 31 years, and that the Lord was doing some significant and tremendous work uh, through men and women just like we are, and that uh, we believe that God still desires to do a great work, even in the days in which we live. And so we've been challenged by the book, not just to know the history, but also to allow the book to uh, change our lives and to renew our minds and to cause us to live for the Lord. Uh, if you were not with us last week, uh, we talked about having Christ-like courage, uh, that there are going to be times in this life where we face challenges, uh, times where uh, we have to go through difficult situations. And uh, we looked at one such time in the Apostle Paul's life where uh, he believed that God was calling him to go to Jerusalem. He had been sharing the gospel in Gentile territory, and he believed that God was leading him now to go to Jerusalem. And on his journey back to Jerusalem, uh, he was being told about the challenges that he would face. And uh, many of the believers were telling him about the persecution, the hostility that he would deal with. As a matter of fact, one of the prophets uh, took his belt, and that prophet tied himself up, and he said, this is what's going to happen to the one who owns this belt. And so he was hearing about all the challenges, all the difficulties that he would face. But we saw that through it, that Christ-like courage would not be redirected Christ-like courage trusts the will of God, and Christ-like courage motivates others. And so last week we had a great, I believe, example of that in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now today as we turn the page and we continue this journey, we're going to see what happens when he gets to Jerusalem. And today we'll cover for us uh, the incidents, the difficulties, the, the things that he would face um, as he's in Jerusalem. Now, for us, when I think about the dynamics here, I think about the fact that in the Christian life, you know, we have to be willing to not only tell people about Jesus, but we have to be willing to tell them why we believe what we believe. And when I think about that, I think about having offense and defense. You know, in the Christian life, I was reading one commentary this week, and he was talking about that, that, you know, teams and sports teams can be known for their offense and their defense. Uh, but, you know, I, I've come to realize I love the sports that when I watch them that the same group of players have to play both offense and defense. And uh, just the other morning, I was uh, in a real spiritual environment uh, in the gymnasium watching fourth grade girls volleyball. 
And it was incredible. And uh, watching the games and seeing them play. And, uh, you know, the players on the court, they have to play offense and defense. They have to try to attack and they also have to defend. And it is incredible to see uh, these young ladies at work. And when I think about the role of us as believers, I believe that our role is very similar that we go on the offensive where we are sharing the gospel and we are helping people to understand what the Bible says and how God has communicated to us. But then we also go on the defense. We don't get defensive like, you know, mad or upset, but we go on the defense because people around us have legitimate questions. They have legitimate concerns. And so we want to be willing to engage with those things. We're not upset about the questions they have. We believe that the Bible and we believe that the Lord offers answers. And so we have to be willing to engage them. And so we're going to see in the Apostle Paul's life, a shift happened. Because up until this point, it's not that he did not have to defend his faith, but the majority of the messages that have been recorded for us in the Bible were him taking the gospel to those who had not heard, had not believed, who were uh, from a Gentile, non-Jewish background, and we were seeing God do great things. And now, the next five messages that we're going to hear from him have him on the defensive giving a hope or a reason why he has lived the way he has for so many years. And I believe there's much for us to learn. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and give you the three main movements if you're taking notes. We're going to see that um, in, in times, sharing the gospel in difficult situations is a title, and in times we have to develop a biblical plan, meaning we, we need to make sure that we don't come in shooting from the hip. And I'll talk more about that. It's not that we have to plan out every detail, everything that could happen to us because we trust and believe that God, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He's going to give us the wisdom and direction we need. But we also want to make sure that this is who we are, that we have prayed, we have studied, we know the Word of God. And so there are going to be some key things, I believe, in the first section we're going to see to help us develop a, a, a biblical plan to share the gospel in difficult situations. The second thing is we have to prepare to be attacked. You know, I, I don't want you to come away from here thinking that when you go out to share your faith or when you go out to defend your faith that you're not going to uh, engage some hostility because you are. And uh, I wouldn't be a good pastor, wouldn't be a good preacher, wouldn't be keeping it real with you if I didn't tell you that. But we serve a God who understands and knows those dynamics. And then the last thing that we're going to see is that one of the most effective weapons I believe that God has given us, I believe the gospel is the most effective, but another effective weapon that God has given us is our testimony. The, the working of God in our own lives. You, you see, in this room, there are so many of us that have given our lives to Jesus Christ. And our testimonies are different, but they're the same as well. There are going to be elements of everybody's story, everybody's uh, relationship with God that has some variation, some difference. I like to say it like this. I believe everybody's testimony is unique as their fingerprint. But then there are some things that make us human beings that we all have, okay? And so thus in our testimony as God works, at some point the differences now get boiled down to the similarities of how God has worked in a group of people, how he has changed their life and what he desires to do. And so we're going to see the power of a testimony. And that we should be willing to share and tell people how God has changed our lives. I hope you've had an opportunity uh, to find Acts chapter 21. I'm going to read our first section, and uh, we're going to get with it. How about that? Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 17, says this. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. 
And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After uh, he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. The first movement, we're going to see that we have to develop a biblical plan to share the gospel in difficult situations. Now, the situation that is in front of us, let us look at it. Historically, we know that the Apostle Paul now comes to Jerusalem, and he is going to have a meeting uh, with James and the elders. Now, when you hear the, that name James, uh, James is the leader of the congregation that is meeting in Jerusalem. This James is the same James whenever you read the Bible and you have in the New Testament the book of James. This is James. This James is Jesus' half-brother, half okay? And so when you think about this, it's the reason why I say half-brother because we know that Joseph wasn't Jesus' daddy. God was Jesus' daddy, so it was his half-brother. So far, so good. So this James is the one that uh, is the leader there. And Paul and James, uh, they have uh, some connection. They have, they have had to deal with each other before. Uh, as the gospel began to move into the Gentile world, God was actually saving them and changing them, and they were trying to figure out how in the world do, we, do they have to become now Jewish in, in the way they eat and the way they worship and how they dress. And, and so there was this big controversy, and so the church got together, and they prayed, and they asked God to guide them, and they came away with a proper I believe, assessment of what needed to happen, and that they didn't have to become Jews to follow Jesus. They could follow Jesus without that, without the ceremonial law and all the such, even though they were to follow these key things from the moral law. Now, in this dynamic, in this conversation, you, you see 
that there is a hint of a rumor or a way of thinking about the Apostle Paul that I believe is not true. But the people there were believing that he was telling the Jews, listen, don't follow Moses. Don't don't follow those things. And so that caused a, a, a lot of strife and beef between those Jews that were there that were believing in Jesus, those that had not yet believed. And so there was an opportunity now to cause great division. So kind of with that backdrop, what we have seen, let us just look at some practical things that I believe we should apply to our lives when we think about sharing, living out our faith in difficult situations. Did you notice the first thing that happens once they get there? It says the following day. So Paul rolls into Jerusalem on the next day. Okay, the very next day, he has a one-on-one meeting face-to-face meeting with these individuals, these, these elders and James. So can I just tell you, if we're going to develop a biblical plan, I believe the first thing we have to recognize is it's going to take personal relationship and communication to do it. Now, you know, whenever there are differences or maybe when we see things differently, it's easy to not actually get in the room together and to just talk about it, you know, through the mediums of the phone and through social media and all the such. And can I tell you, most of the time that's going to cause more drama because you, you, you can't recognize it. Tone is very hard sometimes to recognize. You, you can't recognize facial expressions. Body language is tough. So you might read a message that was intended to be a nice message as a bad message, and you read the fight. So they first get together, and it's personal, and they connect on a personal level. And so can I just tell you, I believe the plan initially is for us to recognize that we have to come together personally. We have to show love, and this is the type of love where we're even willing to give time, so that way we can make sure we are clear on the dynamics of what is before us. Not only do you see that they got together personally, but I want you to notice something else. They praised the Lord for the success that God had granted them. Did you catch it? It says this, After they arrived, the brothers received them gladly. They were personally together. The following day, he met with them. That's verse 18. After they greeted each other, verse 19, notice this, what it says here. He began, Paul began, he began to relate to them. Notice this, one by one, the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Notice what happened in verse 20. They had a praise break, just broke out up in there. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. Everybody see that right there? I just find it so important that when we think about the struggles or the difficulties that we find ourselves in, that we intentionally talk about one by one the things that God has done in our lives. Now, let me just tell you, that doesn't mean that there might not be hardship. Doesn't mean that there might not be struggle. But even in those moments, I find it is very critical for us to go step by step. Maybe you got to go back 20, 30 years, just get you a running start to be able to find some things, but to be able to see clearly what God is doing. And so in these times that we live where situations might be strained or relations might be strained, we might be struggling, we might not recognize what God is doing. It is important. It is important to praise him to see the things that he has done. I don't know if y'all know it or not, but I got a witness up in here, brought a witness with me today. Psalm 103, verse 2, verses 2 through 5. Can I just tell you that this is incredible? When I think about this, I just, it, it encourages me. I think this should be a part of our life. Psalm 103, verse 2. If you take a note, you can jot it down. Y'all ready for this? says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Now, did y'all notice this? Most of the time, what do we want the Lord to do to us? 
Bless us, right? But we're talking about something, we're talking about sending it the other direction. Everybody with me so far? So in these times we say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. How in the world are we going to do this? Y'all ready for the first thing? And what? Forget none of his benefits. I don't know about you, but listen, Blue Cross Blue Shield ain't got nothing on the Lord. <laughs> I don't know about you, the benefits package, when you give your life to the Lord, I'm just telling you, it is incredible here. And when I think about this, the benefits, the benefits of being in relationship, connection, communication, his presence, his peace, his work in our lives. I could go on and on and on and on about the benefits, but understand as we bless the Lord, what we are doing is we are reminding him of who he is and how the work of who he is, it, listen to me, it, it's not based on what we are dealing with. Who he is is not based on what we go through. And so we don't forget his benefits even when it's difficult. We're not finished. Let's keep on looking. Says this. What are some of the, what are some of the benefits? Y'all ready for this? Who pardons some of our iniquities? Everybody see that right there? Did I get that verse right? I, miss, I messed up. Let, let me go back and see. What did I miss? Oh, who pardons what? All your iniquities. So can I ask y'all a quick question? If he pardons all your iniquities, how many iniquities are left to be pardoned? None of them. Now, this is, I don't know about y'all, but this is good news right here. Maybe some of y'all ain't, y'all don't have iniquities and transgressions and all that stuff in your life. I, I, I know that's not true. You know how I know it? Because the book of Nard told me. All have sinned and fall short of glory. I knew you before you came in. I already knew it. <laughs> it says this. He pardons all our iniquities. So when we violate, when we sin, listen, he has the capacity, the ability, and the willingness to, to take care of all of those things. Who heals all your diseases. Everybody see that right there? Now, I know some of y'all thinking, well, not everybody, you know, pe- people die. People that love God, they, they, they die. Can I ask y'all a quick question? You know what? When people who love Jesus and they're going to be with him in eternity, they die with an illness. Do you know what happens the, the second after they breathe their last breath here? You know what happens to them? They no longer have that disease. So can I just tell you, the healing is not a matter for us who believe. It's not a question of if he will heal. It's a matter of when he will heal. Is it going to happen here in this time, in this moment, in, te- in temporary earth time, or is it going to be in eternity? But I'm telling you, every single one of us who have given our life to him. Guess how many of the diseases he's going to get rid of? Y'all already said it. I don't got to say it. The next verse. I just got to preach just a little bit. Y'all ready for it? Who redeems your life from the pit. Now, we don't have time for testimony service up in here. I got a whole lot of more text to get through, but can I just tell you, some of us, we understand what it's like to be right there in that pit. Some of us didn't know we were in the pit. You're still in the pit because you ain't giving your life to the Lord. But up to we, we, some of us, when, you get, when you've been pulled up out of the muck and the mire and the dust and the dirt and the nastiness, you recognize that God is the one who redeems. He takes your life and he pulls you, he pulls you out of the pit. But guess what? He's not only in the business of taking you out, but look what he does. He puts something on your head. What does he put on your head? Crowns you with what? Loving kindness and compassion. So it's not just that he saves you to save you, but he also gives you a life worth living, and he is with you in the midst of it. We're just talking about the benefits. That's why I told you Blue Cross Blue Shield don't got nothing on him. Let's just keep on looking. You ready for it? Who satisfies your years with good things so that, notice this, your youth, they will be renewed like eagles. Now, I didn't come to preach that text, but that text is preached now. And I believe that when they got together, and, they, and, and, and Paul, he, he's telling them about, notice, did y'all see what it said in the text? One by one, one by one, he's telling them the things that God has done. Verse 19, after he had greeted them, he began relating one by one the things which God had done. 
So let me just encourage you just for a minute here in our life and circumstances that are difficult. Might it be very clear to us that we start picking out one by one the things that God has done, highlighting it. Can I just go, you know, for a second now, I just want to share maybe two things that I feel like he probably told him about when he was telling about what the God had done among the Gentiles. Y'all remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul rolled over to Europe. Y'all know Europe? Anybody know Europe? Okay, y'all know, know Europe. And you remember when he got there, the first convert that was in Europe, how, how God showed out in three individuals' lives. Let me just give you these three individuals. Y'all remember, I like to call her Sugar Mama. Y'all know Lydia. Y'all remember Sister Lydia? Yeah. And the Bible says she was a seller of purple. Sister was balling out of control, plenty of money. Okay? And the Lord met her there beside that river. And listen, her life was never the same. Changed her. Not only did, he, did the Lord save, work through Paul, save Sister Lydia. Y'all remember the slave girl who was being exploited? She was, she was demonically possessed and oppressed, and these dudes was, were, were using her, making money off of her. Y'all remember this? Y'all look like y'all don't remember. Don't make me turn back there now. Y'all remember this? She was being used by these guys, and she was hollering out. These servants of the Most High God kept doing it, kept doing it. Paul turned around, and by the power of Jesus Christ, helped deliver her, killed her. She no longer had the ability, so the dudes were mad because they could no longer make money off of her. Y'all remember this? She was set free and delivered because that's what God does, set free and delivered. Can you imagine? Now, she in the same church with Big Mama, uh, Sugar Mama, Lydia, y'all, save girl. Now, they together. You remember they got mad, they got mad, and so they told the magistrates, they told the leaders, and that put, they put Paul and our boy Silas, they put them in jail. Y'all remember that? Had them in the jail. And what was going on in the jail? Worship was going on in the jail. And you know what God does? He responds to that worship, that thing, that earthquake, get the shaking that thing up. And the chains break off, and they thought that the, so, the, so, the, the guard that was there thought that the criminals had escaped. And so he goes to kill himself, take his own life. And Paul says, don't you do it. Don't you do it. We are all here. And he comes in, bows down and says, listen, I got to know. What, 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 what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine this in the church? I can just see Paul. He's just telling one after another. All that. And the brother's like, you shut your mouth. Look at God. Getting excited about, about what the Lord had done because that's the type of God we serve. And as I, as I think about this, the Bible says that these, that these brothers, verse 20, I want you to notice this, and when they heard it, they just said, oh, ain't that nice? They, they acted like, listen, to glorify God, let me tell you, they acted like their team just scored the final point to win the whole thing. They was excited up in there what God was doing. And can I just tell you, we, we, we might want to get a little excited around here about when God is saving and changing people. This is why I tell everybody, they do it in heaven. They get excited in heaven. You know, a lot of people think heaven just quiet. She's like a library. She don't say nothing. We in heaven. <laughs> and a lot of folks don't want to go to heaven because they think it's boring up there. Shh, don't say nothing. Be quiet. Can, I, can I just give y'all a supplemental here for a minute? Because I got to keep rolling. Luke 15, 10. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It tells what happens whenever somebody who is a sinner separated from God Comes to, comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Notice this. Luke 15, 10 says this. In the same way I tell you, there is what? Joy in the presence of the angels of God over how many sinners? So we ain't talking about, you know, he, they talking about thousands of folks. We talking about just, hear me, one. Over one sinner who repents. 
Now, y'all just roll with me. Just in my, whole, in my imagination, I just think every time when somebody is saved, I don't know if the angels are old school and they do the electric slide whenever that thing happens, or, or if they new school, they do the cha-cha slide. I don't know. But all I can say is, is the Bible tells us that whenever somebody is saved, when a life is changed, somebody comes to Jesus, that in their presence, they, they are, there is joy, there is excitement. And I, I'm just, I feel like that's got to be the same for us when we, when we think about the plans that we develop. A, we get together, we connect, we recognize God's at work, we, we recognize the need for each other. But the first thing we do is we, de get, we develop a great way to praise and to remember one by one the things that God has done. Let me just encourage you by way of practical application. Why don't you tonight just go back and just say, in the last 24 hours, God, what have you done? Because I'm going to tell you, you won't be able to. There are so many things that happen in our lives that we have no idea about that he is doing, how he is working. We don't even think about it. We just keep on rolling. You woke up breathing. Did you check your lungs this morning? Diaphragm, anybody check to see if it was in shape? Eyes blinking, anybody, any that heart? Anybody? We just take for granted. This ball we're living on, we call this globe, the earth is moving at the right pace, tilted in the right way, sun hitting us in the right angle. Anybody, we don't even, even think about that type of stuff. And he is holding it all together. And I just find that in these days, especially when the situations are difficult, it's important to lock your mind on those things that are bedrock and solid. He is not changing. Not only did they rejoice, but also the Bible tells us that they kept it real. They kept it real. Now, if you remember the Apostle Paul, and you can get this history in Romans 15, but the Apostle Paul was bringing a, a large sum of money to be able to help the church in Jerusalem who was experiencing great poverty and great difficulty. And so he, he brings the, the, the money with him to help with the poverty and also to help with the unity. And so the, the Bible says that there have been a lot of that have been saved. Look with me in verse 20. It says this. They glorify God, and they said, you see, brethren, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. So what he tells them is, man, this great work. God is doing a great work. But, but understand this piece, that there are, there are those who are being saved. They're zealous for the law. And they think, verse 21, they, they think that you are telling the Jews to not follow Moses. So let me put it to you like this. As we develop a plan, we have to remember that each and every one of us has a reputation. Now, the question is, is, is the reputation that we have, is it true or is it not? Is it false or is it real? We all carry some sort of reputation. As a church, we carry a reputation. We, we all do. So the, the question is, 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 it, is it true? So when we look at this, he carrying the reputation and the reputation, we believe and know that it's false. But what's being said is that he is telling the Jews that live in Gentile areas to not live as Jews. Now, we know we know better than that. The apostle Paul himself was trying to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. We know that he understands the weight of ministry. Y'all remember he took Brother Timothy. Y'all remember way, way back. Timothy, who his daddy was a Greek. His mama was Jew. He was biracial up in this thing. You hear what I'm telling you now? And y'all remember what he did to Brother Timothy before they could go do ministry together? Circumcised him. Y'all remember that? That was a bad day. So he, he is not, he is not anti. But the people, his people, his own people, they press him and they are saying things that are not true about him. But he loves his people. Can I just tell you, 
when we developed this strategy, not only do we have to keep it personal, not only do we need to have praise for the Lord, not only do we need to recognize our reputation, but let me just tell you, you better make sure you love people because people are hard to love. Anybody agree with that? Anybody been part of church? Hey, listen, let me just tell you, we all different, come from all these different backgrounds. We got all different thoughts about things. It can be tough to love people. Some of us just like, yes, I love it all times. So please let me get what you got because I ain't got there yet. But I want you to hear from the Apostle Paul himself in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5. I want you to hear how he felt about his people. I want you to hear his heart. And then you're going to see how they're doing. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, this is what he says about his, his own people. He says this, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself, notice this, were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of who? My brethren, my kinsmen. Now, I, this is not a small thing. What he's saying is, is I'm wishing that I was not saved so that my brothers, my kinsmen could be saved. That's a big deal. That, that, that's a, that he is saying, my people, I care so greatly for my people that, I, that if, it, if it was possible, and it's not, that I could not, I could take my relationship with God, my salvation, my connection with him, and just say, nope, I don't want that. And that would re result in my people, my brethren, my kinsmen coming to Jesus. That's what I would do. Hey, he said, that's how I feel. I, that's how I feel. I'll be separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He, he goes on to say, after my flesh, according to my flesh. i just read it right here. There it is. Thank you, sister. Who are Israelites? To whom belongs the adoption as sons? and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers? And from whom is the Christ according to the flesh? Who is overall? Notice this, he says, God bless forever, amen. So I just want you to hear that it's not that he did not love his people. As a matter of fact, he, he loved his people. He loved his people. But, you know, sometimes people are not easy to love, and they don't love you back. And if we're going to see the gospel move, we have to be ready to recognize that not everybody's going to be excited about the fact that we're excited about Jesus. And as we think about this dynamic, I want you to notice that they, they put together James, they, they put together kind of a threefold deal. He says, listen, we got some brothers here they already on about. If you roll in with them, then everybody's going to see you with them, and they're going to think, oh, look at him. He keeps this. Now, make sure you pay for it, though, okay? You make sure you pay for it. Then you come back later, and in that way, it's all going to be good. Sound like a good plan? I can see them. They huddled up. They said, ready, break. And then they went ready to go do the plan. Now, we have to see what's going to happen. But let me just say to you, before we look at our next point, 
I believe that the Apostle Paul was willing to take this step and it did not violate his relationship with Jesus Christ because the vow, Nazarite vow that these guys were under, that's not something that brings salvation. His, his argument always was don't add anything to salvation. Don't try to make it that you have to do all these laws, all these rules. So he is keeping salvation set. So in his freedom now, he's willing to identify with the Jews here. And we see whenever he was in Gentile country, he was able to identify with the Gentiles. So he is not a chameleon. He's keeping it real here. Keeping even is straight, and he has freedom in his relationship. But I believe the main thing that we should gather from his willingness to do this was that it was his identity in Christ that led his life. Not that he was Jewish, not that he was a man, not that he was a Pharisee at some point. And we have to make sure that our primary identity that we operate from is that we belong to Christ. That's the main one we have to operate out of. And everything in our world is pushing us to try to operate out of other identities. I'm not saying that other identities are not important. I'm just saying they're not the most important. And he understood this. He knew it. Now let's see what's going to happen to him. In verse 27, we see what happens. Verses 27 through 36. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides... He has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with, with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately notice his doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once he took along some soldiers and centurions, and he ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of people kept following them, shouting, away with him. Now, in this second movement, we're going to see, listen to me now. You, you have got to be prepared to be attacked. The first type of attack, just to sum up what we just read, the first type of attack is a verbal attack. It's an attack of character. It's an attack that's not true. And they said, listen, we saw him. It says Jews from Asia. So I believe specifically from Ephesus. They recognized him. If you remember, Paul spent two years in Ephesus. He was preaching the word there, and they recognized him. 
And that says that they stirred everybody up. They said, we got him over here. Let's go. And if you remember, they stirred up the, the mob. It says they stirred, had everybody all stirred up. They saw a Greek. Don't let that shake you. Trophimus, what, what they are saying is, is that Paul now has taken a Gentile into the temple. Now, if you remember, the temple has different courts, and the Gentile court is on the outside. So think like a bullseye. You move inwardly, and as you move inwardly, it became more restrictive who could go in the innermost part. And so the Gentiles had a section. They couldn't go past. And there was the women's court, and then you moved into the court where the services would be, where the males would be, and then the services, and then all the way down to the Holy of Holies. And so only certain people could move through those courts. And so they accused Paul of taking his Gentile man and defiling the holy place. So the, the punishment for that, did you know the punishment for that is death to kill him. And so we see this. So then it moves from being a attack of verbal in nature, then it becomes an attack in physical nature. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us they shut the door behind them and they started jumping on our boy Paul. And I like to say it this way, the commanders came down, they didn't, they didn't um, know what was all going on, so they arrested Paul. I like to say Paul was two chains before two chains was two chains. And so when you look at this, it says the commander in verse 33 put two chains on it, which means hands and feet. All right. And so we see the, the, the dynamics here of this persecution and the intensity of it, how, how it moves. Now, I know I probably don't get a whole lot of amens in this section because it's going to be a pretty tough section. So just hang on with me. OK, but I got to keep it real with you this morning that if you desire to live godly and a man that pleases Jesus Christ, you should expect there to be persecution. Now, I'm going to make the case that there's a difference between prosecution and persecution. Prosecution is when we give people a reason to feel or say or act the way they do about us. Persecution is when we, it's just because we are honoring and loving the Lord. So the first type we see is an act. An accusation, sorry, an accusation of, of character. They say this man is defiling this place. So what do, we, what do we do? When we look at this type of accusation, false ones, normally these are built on uh, hearsay. Now, is it true that Trophimus was with Paul? He was from, from Ephesus and he was a Gentile? Yeah, that's all true. But is it true that Paul took him into the temple to, to defile it? No, that's not true. And so many times the mess we are dealing with is because we have half-truths and we have, you know, information that's all way down the line. We don't even know what's going on, and they're making a rash decision based off of these things. And can I tell you, that's going to be true. People are going to say things about you. They're going to say things about me. They're going to say things about this church that are not true. They've heard half-truths. Maybe they have an agenda. They're going to get upset. They're going to get mad. They're going, to, they're going to say all kinds of things. Can I just be transparent, be real for a minute, some of the things we've experienced as a church? I remember when we first started uh, this, this fellowship, and people used to say, oh, you know, Central Baptist, that's where we, we, we planted out for Central. Oh, Central, you know, they planted that church over there because, you know, they want uh, biracial couples to feel comfortable going to church. That's why they planted that church. Because my wife was a peach sister. Y'all didn't, maybe y'all didn't know that. But people would say this type of stuff. Oh, that's, that's why they, you know, they, 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 they want couples that's, you know, inter interracial couples to feel comfortable. I'm like, do what? 
Or, or they say things like, oh, yeah, they, you know, they, they, they put Jamar over there because that's where they want all the black people to go. See, they don't want the black people to go over there. They want the black people to go over there. I, 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 it's crazy. I'm like, who told you this? What is wrong with you? I mean, many times I would think this. And I'm just telling you that, that, that people will, will latch on. They're going to say all type of crazy stuff. Now, here's the thing that, that I want you to remember. A lie has speed but the truth has endurance. And as we have been here, we almost a decade. January is going to be a decade up in this thing. You, you, you look around here, you look around the room, we still let this thing, we ain't going to let the haters phase us. We're going to keep on doing what God has called us to do. We, we, we understand what's at stake here. And we tell the truth. We don't care. You might not like it, but we got to tell it. And people are going to say all types of things. They're going to misunderstand us. They're going to mis, mis, misquote us. And so you see this initial strain was one of character, and they were saying things that were, were not true. But let me just tell y'all, this should not surprise us. This is the, the, the heritage that we come from in the early church. Can I just tell y'all some of the things that were said about the early church before we ever got here? Y'all don't seem too disagreeable, so let me just go on and share. P- people used to say about the early church that they were um, incestuous. Y'all know why? You ever been in church circles long where we call each other brother and sister? Anybody ever anybody heard that? Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, right? So when I make the statement, you know, my wife, she my wife, but she guess what she also is? My sister in Christ, right? So whenever the outside culture hears this, we talking like this, sister and brother, like, wait, ain't you married? That was your sister. Ooh, ooh. You know, so they would, they, they would get the thoughts, these thoughts. Not only did they say it was incestuous, but they would also accuse the early church of being cannibals. Anybody know what cannibal is? Y'all know cannibal? Yeah. Y'all know where that would come from? Whenever we take the Lord's Supper, now right up in here, what are we celebrating? The Lord's body and his blood. They're like, what? They eating bodies and drinking blood in there? This is terrible. I'm not going in there. (laughs) And so the outside world who they don't know what we do, why we do it, all the connections, all the history. And I'm just going to keep it real. Depending on your background, there are some people that actually think that it is the body and blood of Jesus, okay? That's not how we roll around here because Scripture don't roll like that. So the way we see it is, is, listen, this is reminding us of that moment in history. But whenever you're at the surface level, that people are thinking, we up in here eating, eating people. And they would say, these cannibals up in there. I'm not done. They would also think, that uh, Christians were atheists. Ain't that crazy? Who, who would think that? Y- y'all know why? Because the Christian did not have idols. We don't have idols. You, that, you don't see, you, you don't see, we, when we worship, when we're we talking to God, we don't see him. And if you see him, we might need to get together, okay? <laughs> and so what, 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 what we, what, happened is they were like, they, 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 they don't believe in God. We didn't believe in emperor worship, still don't believe it to this day. So they would say, we, you don't see a God, you atheist, you don't believe in God. No, we don't believe in those gods, those lowercase g gods. We believe in the God, number one, the, the leader, the king, the boss, the king of kings, Lord of lords. And so people would say they were, that, that, that Christians were atheists. Now this really going to shock you. I know we got some babies, I'm looking around the room because I thought, okay, I'm going to say it, I think we're clear. They, they would think that because in Christian culture, I want y'all to just notice something in the room here. Male and female in here together, right? Male and female. If you didn't know, we male and female. Still the same way. Male and female. We in here together. In the world at this time, and even in, in many ways nowadays, males and females were not worshiping together. 
in the, in the temple itself, there was a court for the women, there was a court for the men. It was separate. There are even belief systems and religions today where the women and men are separate. So you can imagine as the church is forming and men and women are together and they're together in worship, they're together all the time. In the pagan culture, the only time men and women got together, you know what it was for? Temple prostitution. All right, they was in there acting up. All right, that's, that's the nicest way I know to say it. <laughs> and so what they would say is the church, they having big parties, the orgies, all that in the church. Like, wait a minute, time now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And that's what they're immoral. And so that was the, the mindset. And so what I'm just, what I'm saying to you here is don't be surprised when your life is criticized, when your character is slander when you, it, it comes, it's a package deal. And if you don't believe me, I got a witness for it. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12. Second Timothy three, 12 says this. Indeed, most who desire to live, I missed, I did it again, didn't I? My bad. Indeed, what does it say? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be, said with me, persecuted. I'm gonna just let that sit for one second. Because I, I don't know that we, I don't know that, and here, here's what I'm saying to you. I believe there are going to be different levels. There are going to be different types, different ways in which we experience this. But let me tell you, this is a reality for us. If we honestly want to use our lives to honor the Lord. You, you see, the text tells that the persecution that he is experiencing goes from being just verbal to physical. Now, I believe that that happens still to this day around the world. I want to ask y'all a question. At what time in history have the most Christians been persecuted? Was it under Rome? Nero? It's right now. That might shock you. That the most persecuted, marginalized, hated group of people in all the world are believers, those who love Jesus. That might surprise you, or maybe it doesn't. But all I'm going to say to you is don't be caught off guard. I believe that we see this turning in our day, and let me just be straightforward here, and then we'll look at our last point and I will close. I believe that even in our day, even in our own country, there are people who misunderstand us as believers, and they take our disagreement with things as us hating the individual. Can I, can I just keep it real for a second? And people squirming a little bit because y'all don't know where I'm getting ready to go. So let me just go ahead and go there. They, they take our disagreement with lifestyles, with decisions, behaviors. They take our disagreement with those things and they act as if we, we actually disagree with the individual. But let me just tell you, in God's economy, there is the ability to disagree with the behavior, but love the one who is, at, who, is, who is committing the behavior. Can I tell you, that didn't come from us. It comes from God. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Everybody with me so far? Now, when, when we read that, it wasn't that everybody was just living for the Lord, and how are you today, brother? Praise the Lord, amen. That's not the, the situation, all right? When he, when he gave his son, everybody was sinning and grinning and enjoying it. 
All have, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we see with, within God, we are made in his image. Every single one of us, black, white, yellow, black, it don't matter. We all in his image. So thus his love for humanity is there. He simultaneously can love us, but hate what we do. Anybody that's got a baby in the room, anybody that's a, a parent in the room knows this. You can look at your child and be like, you such a cute Santa. I love you. <laughs> you feel it. You, you feel it. You, you know when they lie to you right in your face. I know you ain't telling me the truth, but you're so, you, I still love you. I don't love what you do. I'm not, I'm not breaking the, 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 the bond, the, the fellowship, the relationship. Like our world needs to understand what type of God we're talking about here. The type of God who in his love would allow himself to die. Notice I said allow because nobody took his life. He laid it down. So, so in the dynamics for us, in our operation here, when we think about the pressure and the, the attack that we face, for us as believers, it comes from God, the ability to love somebody, even when you disagree with what they do. So in the Bible, whenever we, we, we see people calling us bigots and homophobic and, and, and they call us all type of hateful names and, and all of such, listen to me. God has spoken definitively on marriage, life, gender, family, roles. He has spoken definitively. We are holding on to what he is saying. The world around us is the one that keep moving and they want us to just follow them down there. We're not doing that. Can't do it. That does not mean that we don't love you. We love you. We love you enough to tell you the truth. We love you enough to welcome you in. We love you enough to tell you, this here life is not leading to life. And I believe because of that, that that's why things are going to intensify. And we will go from it being verbal to physical. The last thing I want us to see is that you got to be willing to share your testimony. You got to be willing to share your testimony. Now, this is going to be probably the longest section we've got, but I didn't want to break it up. I want you to be able to hear. And as I'm reading this, I want you to hear the three parts. The three parts of a testimony is your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and now that you're following Jesus, what your life is like. Before Jesus, how you met Jesus, following Jesus. I want you to listen. Y'all ready? Starting in verse 37, says this, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hands. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in a Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in a Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, 
but brought up in, the, in this city, educated under Gamaliel. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are today, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. As also the high priest and the council of the elders can testify for them, from them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me, they saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. In this last movement, I want to talk about the power of your testimony. The power of your testimony. You see, in this first part of this last section, I want you to remember that people will have a preconceived idea about who you are. I'm not saying it's right that they do. I'm not saying that they should. But people tend to have a preconceived idea of who you are, who you're not, what you do, what you're like. And the reason why I say it is you, you see whenever Paul was being taken up to the barracks, the commander who had him, did you notice whenever Paul spoke to him in Greek, I could just see that the, 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 the commander, his neck switching like, you know Greek? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
And did you notice what he said to him? He said, you mean to tell me you're not the Egyptian dude? You're not the one who brought in all these assassins to revolt? Now, historically, a Jewish historian named Josephus, you can look it up. He talks about this individual and about the fact that he was supposed to be like some new Moses, some new Joshua. He's going to come take over Rome. And y'all know what happened to him? He got his tail behind his, his behind. Whoop. They couldn't send him on back out to the desert. It didn't happen. And so he ran away. So they were thinking, oh, he has come back. So he, he is assuming here a whole lot. A, that he's an Egyptian. B, that he is coming to cause trouble and a revolt. And so... Just understand that people are going to have an idea most of the time already built up about who you are. They're going to already think they know. But don't let that phase you. Be willing to tell them the truth about how God has worked in your life. In this testimony, he tells them, he tells them after he gets an opportunity to start talking to, to a Hebrew dialect, most believe he was speaking to them in Aramaic here. And he starts to share. It says they get real quiet. And as he starts to share his testimony in that first piece, he talks about his former life. He talks about meeting Jesus. And he talks about following Jesus. Now, in this, can I just tell you, it fascinates me every time that I read this. I, I'm not like the Apostle Paul. The Spirit of God had him ready. He had him ready. Can you imagine? You've been beat up. You've been, listen, I'm going to tell you, you give me a chance to talk to somebody out there and put hands on me. Oh, it's, it's on. Y'all finna get a piece of my mind, then we're going to talk about the Lord. He, he was ready. You hear what I'm telling you? Like, you better be glad it was all of y'all. One at a time, what's up? But anyways, he was ready. I believe the Spirit of God had warned him, told him the challenges he was going to face, and there was an opportunity that God opened up for him. You see, I believe that we have to recognize this in our own lives, and we have to be willing to share and he tells us about his testimony. Let me just give it to you in quick little, little bites, and then we're going to run to the application. The first thing he tells us is he gives them his pedigree, if you will. He lets them know, listen, I'm, I'm a Jewish man just like y'all are. Matter of fact, I'm probably, I'm probably more strict than y'all are. I'm probably holding to this thing a little tighter than y'all are. That's my background. He tells the teacher that he studied under, Gamaliel, he tells them they're going to know him, a, a widely known teacher. So he starts telling them his, his B.C., his before Christ. He starts just laying it out about his pedigree, who he is. Then he starts telling them about the fact that ultimately he wants to destroy Christianity. He did not want to see Christianity thrive. How so do you know? Well, he says, I was taking people and I was putting them in jail. We were beating them. Whenever Stephen was getting killed, I was watching the coast because I didn't want my boy's stuff to get stole because I wanted him to go ahead and be able to throw hard and, hit and kill him with those stones. He is telling the parts of his life that are not the good stuff. And can I just, can I just keep it real here for a minute? If we're going to be honest in here, we all got some B.C. We all got some stuff in our lives that's not good stuff. But the thing about it is, is that God already knows the not good stuff. And there's a great example here where when he meets Jesus, Jesus tells him the very thing he's doing. You persecute me. It's me, it's me you're dealing with here. And so when we think about our testimony, as we start sharing them, don't, you don't have to hide who you were, okay? But then there's some people, when they share their testimony, they spend 20 minutes on all the muck and the party and the drinking and the sex and all that other stuff, and they spend two minutes on how life, Jesus changed their life. We just switch that thing up. Just, we all know you was bad, okay? The Bible tells us that. What we want to know is that you met Jesus and how you met him. That, that, that's the key. And so that next movement, he tells us, he tells us, I'm on the way to Damascus, and God met him right there. 
confronted him. Can I just tell you, everybody that has ever been saved, Jesus confronts them. He confronted Paul. He will confront you. And he's going to lay your life bare, open wide. And you got to make a decision. Did you notice whenever he was knocked off his high horse and he got blind, he couldn't see? Did you notice his tune changed real quick? Verse 10, he says this, and I said, what shall I do? What's the word there? Lord, everybody see that? He was understanding. He is not the boss anymore. On Wednesday nights, we've been talking to the babies about God and about his attributes and who he is. And one of the little girls, one of the little baby girls, she raised her hand. I said, tell me something about God. She raised her hand. She said, he's the boss. I said, amen. (laughs) And we could just understand that. And he is a very good one, as a matter of fact. And so when we look at this, that there's a shift that happens, and we see how, he, how he, he encountered Jesus. And Jesus began to confront him about his life. And then after the confrontation, we see the following. We see that, that the Lord brought Ananias to come be the human representation to pray for him, and the scales fall off his eyes, and he sees Ananias. And after seeing Ananias, Ananias tell him, listen, you got to now identify. You got to be marked. Don't think that the water is washing sins away. Water can't wash away sins. There ain't no water good enough to do that. All right? Only Jesus' blood and faith can do that. That's the only thing that can do it. So when we look at this, he's telling him, you got to identify with Jesus because when you call on him, when you call on him, verse 16, when you call on him, that is how you get your sins forgiven, in his name. And so he makes an allegiance change. That allegiance change, he goes from being doing it himself, being about the enemy's work, and he makes an allegiance change, and he kneels to the king, and so now he is now serving him. And can I just tell you what Jesus does great, what he's great at? He is great at taking enemies and turning them into followers, those who are hostile to now being his greatest champions. And that is what he desires to do in your life. And he tells us that he followed Jesus, and Jesus gave him a purpose. Their purpose was to be a light to the Gentiles and to share. Can I close this way? What about you? Do you have a testimony? Has Jesus changed your life? Have you you been willing to be honest with him about your BC before Christ? Have you been honest with him about your life? Maybe maybe it's, it's not so much past. Maybe it's like as recent as... This morning, what he is asking, what he is desiring, though, he's desiring for you to come and for you to come to him, for you to recognize that in him, in him, there is life. He is seeking to confront you, come, come at you, because listen, he got to deal with the sin. Nobody's coming with him without being, having a sin, it's just not happening. But here's the good thing, what that Bible, the verse tells us in, in the word here, is that even the one who was persecuting, seeing his people killed, that Jesus could save him and change his life. All I'm telling you is, is I don't know what you've done, I don't know where you've been, but here what I'm telling you is, is I believe Jesus can handle it. He can handle it. You, you willing to surrender your life to him? You, you willing to recognize his sacrifice on your behalf by faith? I'm telling you, he can handle it. I'm not just telling you because I'm a preacher. I ain't always been a preacher, and I ain't always been saved. I know personally that he can handle it. The question is, are you willing to surrender your life to him? As we go into this time of invitation and reflection, Take it from one who 
lived apart from Jesus for a long time. For 20 years. And I remember, I remember asking myself the question, why am I here? What am I doing in my life? I remember thinking that relationships and money and notoriety, all those things would fill me, but they always, always left me one more. And in my life, I felt like it was, it's almost like cotton candy. You know, it's sweet when you get it, but it just don't last long. It just, it just doesn't satisfy. And I spent a long time chasing those things. And it wasn't until the Lord got my attention. And let me tell you, the way he confronted me, he confronted me in my sin. He confronted me. It, it, it was a jarring moment of a, of, a, of a loss of someone so close to me that made me realize that I, that I am not going to live in this life forever. And if I have not understood that, and if I have not surrendered my life, if I didn't recognize that Jesus came to, to give me life, that I'm going I'm to be separated from him in this life, and I'm going to be separated from him from all of eternity. It, it was through the, the loss, and it was through a wreck. And my car literally wrecked, airbags out, that I'm understanding the, the, the shortness of this life, like in a moment, the next breath. But that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, lived the human experience, the same things we get tempted by, the same challenges that we have. He experienced each and every one of those, but yet he conquered them without falling for it, without sin. And what he is offering, what he is offering is he is offering us life. He's offering us an opportunity to make an exchange, to give our life as, as sinful as it is or as sinful as the things we go through. He is offering us an opportunity to now make an exchange for his righteousness, that we don't have to be identified by our mistakes. We don't have to be identified by the things we do or go through. We be identified by him, that his righteousness now comes, and that is how God is seeing me. I'm his child. And that whenever I fail, when I fall, because I'm his child, he still loves me. Even though I, he don't love what I do, he's going to always love me. I love to ask my kids a question. What can you do that will change the relationship between us where I'll, I won't be your dad ever again? You know the answer to that? Nothing. Whether we live together, even if somebody else adopts them, they're going to they always be. My children. See, we become a child of God. That's what Jesus is offering us to come in and be in his family and to, and to give us a hope, to give us a, a help, to give us direction, all those benefits that we talked about. That's what he's offering today. That's what he's offering you. I'll never forget February 19th of 2000. I'll never forget it. Changed my life forever. So the question is for you, have you been willing? Have you been willing to call on him and say, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me. I know my life, you know my life. By faith, I'm believing you laid your life down. And by faith, I'm trusting that you'll bring me into your family. And you'll change me. See, I believe in these days we live in, that's the most sure thing you're going to ever hear. The question is, is are you willing to surrender your life?
Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you. We come before you, Lord, and I'm just thankful, God, that you love us the way you do. And Lord, I'm just praying if there's anyone here, Lord, they've never given their life to you, that today would be the day. That, Lord, they would call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. Take my life and bring me into your family. Lord, I believe that by faith, because of your grace, Lord, we can now enter into a relationship with you. We turn from our sin. We turn to you. I pray they would turn to you. Be forever changed. Lord, I also pray, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, we've given our life to you. And God, I pray you would help us to honor you, to, to live for you. That, Lord, in these days that we live in, that, Lord, we would follow your plan. It's a good plan. That, Lord, in the days in which we live in, we would understand we're going to experience attack. In the days that we live in, Lord, you are calling us to tell people how you have changed our life. And I know sometimes, Lord, we don't live like it. We, we fall. We fail. But, Lord, let us not be ashamed. So, God, I'm praying you have your way in this time. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand with me? I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media, at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continuing the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time, right here at Word Baptist Church.